Good morning. I'll be reading the second reference this morning. If you can join me by opening up the Word of God, because Psalms 22 will be our biblical reference for the sermon this morning. So Psalms 22, and we'll be reading the whole psalm together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words, so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm. I am not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. <clears throat> Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. Band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. O oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted ones. He has not hidden his face from him. He has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember 
and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for the dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn. For he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Trish. Uh, do keep the Bibles at Psalm 22, but let's turn to God in prayer. This is a, a wonderful psalm. Let's pray that it will be of great comfort to our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on these words of David, we hear his cry. We pray, Lord, that we might hear your answer to his cry as well. So we pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this psalm, that you'll be of great comfort to us in our own life context. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many of you may have heard of the story of a mother and her two boys, Matthew and Josh, four years old and six years old. Now, these two boys, they're mischievous, they're, they're naughty, they're just they're hard to handle, hard to discipline, they just do their thing. They're those practical jokers, those pranksters. In fact, as I thought about this, it's a bit like what I was as a young boy. I, I've told my kids over the last year the practical jokes I used to do on others to tell them, this is what you don't do, kids. Anyway, I was one of those boys. But in this story, anyway, this mother just had enough, couldn't handle her boys, just had enough, didn't know how to discipline them. And so she called for help from her minister to speak to the boys individually. The minister agreed. Now, this minister, unlike me, he's big, he's got this threatening size to him. And so he sat down the first son, Matthew, sat him down, knowing the trouble that he was in. With his deep, booming voice, this minister said to him, Where is God? Matt's jaw dropped, made no response, terrified by the size of this minister. But then this minister repeated his question, Where is God? Again, Matt remained silent. And so this minister once again raised his voice, Where is God? Matthew, at this point, Frightened, terrified, he ran out, bolted through the door, went into his closet and hid. Now when his brother Josh found him later, he said, what happened? Matthew, he gasping for his breath, frightened and terrified. We're in big trouble now. God is missing and they think we did it. <laughs> now, now that's just a funny story, isn't it? These pranksters. But of course, we know as Christians, God doesn't go missing, does he? He's God. But I do wonder whether in our life experience, in your life experience, we sometimes feel God has gone missing. Where is God in my life? Where is God now? Have we become God forsaken? And I know, and many of you know, that there are many in our congregation who are going through some very dark, very difficult, heartbreaking times at this moment. We just heard the announcement before that 
many of us this past week have lost the, a dear friend, a very dear friend. That's the sadness of bereavement. They are the things we have to face in life. But then, of course, there are some here who have been suffering some chronic illness for so long, and it's just never going away. And then there are, of course, some dealing as best as you can with that unexpected medical test results. It's, this is not meant to be, God. Where are you in this? Of course, there are those who are suffering such deep relational hurts. This is not the way it's meant to be, God. Where are you in this? And of course, there are some, I know, who are just dissatisfied with life, just find it hard, so difficult, so hard to find life happy, and it, it shouldn't be this way, God. Where are you in all of this? And so for many at this moment, it feels like God has gone missing. We have been forsaken by God, and so we cry out, Where are you, God? And it seems that there is just silence. I mean, they are the cries of Christians, not atheists. Where are you, God? Now, Joseph Parker, he was a, a minister in London, an uh, English congregational minister in the 19th century. He wrote in his autobiography, and he was brutally honest in confessing his anger, his hardship, his, his anger towards God, that God would let him experience what he did. And so in his biography, Joseph Parker, he writes that he's been serving God for many decades as a minister, up to the age of 68, never doubted at all God's love for him, never doubted at all God's care and guidance, never had any religious doubt for many decades, up to 68. But then what happened was his wife died. This was a minister. And you know what happened? His faith collapsed. And these were his harrowing words. He said, In that dark house, I became almost an atheist. How could I be otherwise? My chief joy was taken from me, for God has set his foot upon my prayers and treated my petitions with contempt. If I had seen a dog in such agony as mine, I would have pitied and helped that dumb beast. Yet God spat upon me and cast me out as an offence, out into the waste wilderness and the night black and starless. This was a faithful minister of God who served him for many decades and that was what he felt. He felt God forsaken at that time. And perhaps this morning, that might be the feeling, that might be the experience of some of us here. And of course, you're not alone in these type of feelings, are you? Joseph Parker was not alone in feeling such a thing. In fact, as we look at this psalm, the mighty King David himself cried those famous words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in this psalm, David was brutally honest about the pain, the suffering, the agony, the darkness, the pits of life in this fallen world. And so this psalm allows us to do the same, to cry out to God the same. It gives voice to our pains. This psalm allows us to come to God with, without pretending that life is okay, all will be okay. But it allows us to come to God pouring out our hearts in raw honesty. And so let's look at this psalm. Why did David cry these words? 
What was it that he was experiencing that he would cry, where are you, God? Now, last Friday before youth group, like every Friday, I would meet with our youth leaders and we'll always have a little devotion. I would often do a little devotion from my daily Bible reading. And last Friday, I got up to the passage in 2 Samuel where I read of David's sufferings. Now, what did he suffer? He was chased out of his palace chased out of Jerusalem, his home city. He was humiliated in front of his own people. And by whom? It was by his very own son, Absalom. Just imagine the heartbreak, the despair, the darkness of life at that moment. Your very own flesh and blood wants you dead. That was the despair he was experiencing. And so no wonder, just like Joseph Parker, that minister, he cried out these words. He cried out this prayer, which seems to have fallen on deaf ears. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. He, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? I mean, I'm in pain. I'm in agony. So far from the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. So you can sense in these two verses his anguish, his despair at God, the hopelessness of his situation, the sense of his God-forsakenness. But yet David recalls that that's not what God is like. I know this God, that is not what he's like. And so he's trying to make sense of God and his life. And so he reflects, verses 3 to 5, have a look. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And so you can understand David's dilemma here. God, you saved them. You saved my forefathers. What are you doing with me? Why aren't you saving me? They had faith. I believe you too. And I wonder whether this might be the feelings of Christians as well. Not about our ancestors, God, you treated them well, but about other Christians. We reflect, we see, we watch. God, you take care of those Christians, those other Christians. Their, their health seems to be going so well. Their, their life seems to be in order. Their family, it's, it's, it's a joy. But, but God, why aren't you caring for me? Why not me? I believe in you as well. This is just not fair, God. In fact, more than unfair, David goes on now to describe how he feels like God treated him like a worthless animal. Look at his, his words, verses 6 to 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. And who see me, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And just have a look, it gets worse. They, they mock him for trusting God. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Imagine that. Hearing that as a faithful God-fearing man. That's got to hurt. I mean, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. Why are you suffering these things? Why is God doing these things to you? Why isn't God saving you from this? You believe in such a hopeless God. I mean, that's got to hurt. And so you can just imagine David's mind was all in a mess at this point. 
He's trying to make sense of it all. He, he knows God since he was a child. He's experienced the protection, the guidance, the comfort, the blessings of God. In fact, God chose him above everyone else to be king over Israel. So he knows the blessings of God and he's trying to make sense. That is God, but this is my experience now. And so why this sense of God forsakenness? And so he goes on to express, look at verses 9, 9 to 11. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. That's what he's reflecting on. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. So as we go through this time, you can sense his misery, his despair at life, his anger towards God, even to the point of death. And, and it goes on to describe, 12 to 18 now, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan circle me, roaring lions tearing their prey upon their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. You see his despair. He goes on to say, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. God, what are you doing to me? You're leaving me to die. And he goes on, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. People stare and gloat. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. David was experiencing God forsakenness. It was a dark hour. His life as though it was ebbing away. Whatever life there was in him was being sucked out by what he was experiencing. And so you can understand why he cried out those famous words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what did God do about it? Did these cries go unanswered? Did God leave him to rot? Would God do such a thing? Did his prayers really only receive silence? Was he really God forsaken? Well, here, up to this point in the psalm, we see the turning point. David's pleading, his cry for help, for mercy, did not fall on deaf ears. He was, in fact, never God forsaken. God did hear his cry, and God has come to save. Look at verses 19 to 21 now. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions and save me, or in your footnote, you would see, you have heard, that is, God has responded. God has saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so here we see, by this point, God has come around. God has come through and delivered David, rescued him, saved him from whatever he was experiencing. And so David, the king, though he was wrestling with the thought that God has forsaken him, he felt forsaken by God. But his feelings really did not reflect reality. He wasn't, wasn't God forsaken. But of course, this psalm is not so simple. When you read the psalms, there's always more to it. We have to go deeper and deeper. You see, this psalm is not merely a psalm about David crying out. 
or David saying words that reflect what our hearts feel. There's more to this psalm, a lot more. You see, in what David was expressing in this psalm were, were cries not just by him, but also of someone else. You see, someone else experienced not just what David did, but far worse. Someone, in fact, did cry out those words, and they were true, not mere feelings. There was someone else who was really, in reality, God-forsaken. You see, what David was saying here was not reflecting what was reality, but it was true for someone else. When someone else cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And who was that? Who else expressed those anguished cries to God? Well, a thousand years after this king, the greater king, God's very own son, Jesus Christ, he came. He experienced what David did, but worse. And you see in this psalm the uncanny resemblance of what Jesus experienced when he was hanging there, bleeding in anguish on the cross, when he was trying to gasp for his breath. You see, on the cross we also read that Jesus too was insulted. He was also mocked by those who passed by. They said to him, you, you save others, why don't you save yourself? His strength too was dried up. I mean, on the cross, every breath he took would have been in agony. He had to use and muster up all the strength, all ounce of strength, just to take a breath. His tongue too was dry, was stuck to the roof. That's why when Jesus cried out, I'm thirsty, he's reflecting the cross of this psalmist. He too was surrounded by evil men when Jesus was hanging there in shame, in humiliation before all these people. His hands and feet were also pierced, do you see? And his garments too were divided by casting lots. And of course, Jesus too cried out those harrowing words. You have to imagine that. You have to reflect on that deeply. This is the eternal Son of God crying out to his eternal Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you see, there's a great difference between the experience of David and the experience of Jesus. David felt forsaken, but he really wasn't forsaken. But with Jesus, the forsakenness of God his Father in heaven was real when he was left there to die on that wooden stick. You see, his cry was a real cry of dereliction. In his darkest hour, when the skies went black, Jesus was absolutely alone absolutely god forsaken the eternal bond between father and son the eternal loving holy perfect relationship between father and son was somehow at that moment on the cross disrupted there was an actual and dreadful separation between god the father and god the son never experienced before and never to be repeated again and so at that time, Jesus was abandoned by his father. He felt that. God the Father felt that. But yet in our understanding, amazingly at the same time, one theologian puts it this way, Cranfield, he says, while this God-forsakenness was utterly real, it was real, the unity of the blessed Trinity was even then unbroken. 
But yet when Jesus cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was real. You just have to understand how heartbreaking that was for the son to say to his father, why do you leave me? You have to also understand how heartbreaking that was for the father to hear. He has forsaken. That was real. But now we must ask, why? Why did God the father do this? Why would God do such a thing and allow his own precious beloved son to suffer such hardship, such, such death? I mean, I've got two of my own sons. I would do all in my power to not let any harm come their way. So why did God, why did the eternal, perfect, holy God do such a thing? The answer is, it was for us. It was for us. Such is the love of God. You see, Jesus entered into our existence, experienced our brokenness. He experienced all the deepest cries of our heart experience all the agonies of pain and death in this fallen world and so none of us can ever say to god you do not know how i feel god you, you really don't know how i understand what i'm experiencing god you, you just don't know we can't say that to god you can never say that to god because god does know he knows pain and suffering from the inside but you see more than that Jesus not only entered into our existence, but he also experienced the full wrath, the full anger, the full judgment of God his Father for our sins. Sins. Our sins. And so when we look at the cross, it was our rebellion that, that placed him there. It's our sins that nailed him there. It's, it's our sins that pierced his side. He experienced the horrors of death, not because he deserved it. It was for us. It was for us. He experienced hell in our place. And so Jesus was God forsaken for us. For us. If you believe it, if you choose to trust in him, if you choose to let him die for you, if you believe it, he did that so that we can be rescued from our own God-forsaken state. He did that so that one day, one day we have this to look forward to, when all our pain and suffering will become a thing of the past, when all our tears, the tears that we have shed, will all be wiped away. That is what we have to look forward to because of Jesus, so that one day, and even now today, as we live our life, we will never be God-forsaken. Because the Son was forsaken for us. You see, that's the wonderful, glorious news of the gospel message. That was the news that this psalm was looking forward to, far more than David expected. You see, this psalm doesn't promise that as Christians, as those who love the Lord and trust in Him, it doesn't promise us that our life as Christians will be smooth sailing. You'll do well, you'll have good health, your family will be in order, all will go well with you. It doesn't promise that at all. But it promises this. It promises that I will never have to experience the darkness that Jesus did. It promises that I'll never experience the abandonment that he experienced. It promises that because Jesus was forsaken, I will never be forsaken by God.
That is how I can live my life. And so when you know that, you'll know the glorious, wonderful news of the gospel, even as you're suffering now, even if perhaps you're angry with God now. What do you do? Well, consider the psalm again. What did David do? How did he respond? Verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. He's overjoyed now. Verse 25, from you comes the theme of my praise in, in the great assembly. He's praising God now. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families and the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. He is overjoyed and praising God because he knows that he was not forsaken by God. And lastly, verse 31, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And you see, in Christ, God has done it. God has done it for us. Christ was forsaken so that we will never have to be. If you think about that, if you reflect deeply on that, there's nothing, no news, no, no, no piece of information that is more comforting to that, more peaceful than that, more needed than that truth for you to walk this life in faith. Now, Joseph Parker, remember that minister, brutally honest with God, angry with God for taking his wife. But he didn't stop there. He did some reflection. And these were the words he went on to say. He, he, he explained that somehow he felt God say to him, all is well. One day, the mystery will be explained. That brought him great comfort because he knew then that God has not abandoned him. And then he went on to say, this hope enabled me to take up my ministry with an even warmer zeal. And so he did what David did. David ended up with praise. He ended up with praise, doing his job as a minister with greater zeal. Now, Joseph Parker's wasn't the only guy who lived that way, who held that to heart, who knows with, with the depths of his heart that God has not forsaken him. Many of you will know of another man, our camp speaker last year, Philip Jensen. He's a great speaker, a great evangelist, a great trainer of ministers in this country. Philip Jensen has been serving God for many years. He's in his 70s. After the camp, he stayed with us for a few days. And we heard of his hardship. Now, many of you would not know if you went to camp, but last year was a tough year for him. Last year, his son, I mean, his grandson, 17-year-old grandson, was diagnosed with cancer. It spread to his heart, to, to his brain. And this minister who's been serving God for so many decades, doing, did so many great things, for the kingdom of God. This was hard for him. Earlier this year, while we were still in holidays up in Queensland, we got the news that his grandson, 17-year-old grandson, died from the cancer that he's been living with for the last year. I can't imagine what's harder for a grandfather to feel. He'd rather exchange his life for his grandson, but of course that's not what happened. To lose your grandson, 17-year-old, suffering with that pain and hardship and anguish. But yet his grandson was a Christian. His grandson died with the confidence that he was not forsaken by God, 
in life and in death. And Philip Jensen, at the funeral of his grandson, he, he said these words. I, I just can't imagine how he could muster up that strength to speak, to preach at his grandson's funeral. He said this. Once you gasp, grasp the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, once you understood the sovereignty of God controlling all of our life, including your suffering and pain and cancer, once you've understood that this sovereign Lord loves you so much that he willingly laid down his life for you, paying for all your sins and enduring all your hell, once you have grasped the love of God, the love of Christ, then you can look death in the face with all its horror and anguish and know if God is for us, who can be against us? The comfort, the assurance of his grandson, God will never forsake me because of Christ. The assurance of this grandfather, God will never forsake me because of Christ. And so in your life now, in our life now, we all experience such hardship. This is the reality. But we've got this promise from God. You must know that you never suffer alone. God is with you. You must know that your cries will never go unanswered. God has answered. You must know that God will never forsake you in this life and even in death. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful comfort to hear that in such anguish and hardship, your son was forsaken so that we will never be. And so we pray, Lord, for all of us that will always cling on to that promise, to cling on to Christ as the one who died for us, as the one who was forsaken for us. And so we pray, Lord, that you might grant us peace as we live our lives, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.